Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I have a wonderful guest today named Sandra Johnson. Sandra Johnson works for an employment law firm, Legal Aid at Work, which helps all members from all parts of the community when they have issues at work, um, those with disabilities, social justice issues, all that one, all those wonderful things that are going on in the community. Um, so she works for them. She's also, uh, she was 15 years down in prison. Um, she's been out of prison for many years and clean and sober for many, many years. She was recommended by many people and they, they, everybody in the community would say, Figaro, you need to go ahead and you need to interview Sandra. Sandra, she's got an amazing story. And that's what this podcast is about, is recognizing people that are doing amazing things in the community and giving back. And that's exactly what she's doing. She serves on two boards. She was recently asked to serve on the Roots and Rebound Board. And she's currently on the board of the East Bay Community Law Center. Um, and she also uh, helps formerly incarcerated individuals uh, in all aspects of their life, whether it comes to employment, uh, women that are having issues in the community. Thank you so much, Sandra, for being here today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Like I said, I love having people on there doing great things in the community and inspiring others to do great things. Um, so let me ask you first, I always start off by asking, where were you born and raised? I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but I was raised in Seaside, California. I'm from the Salinas area. So I lived in Salinas and I grew up in Seaside. I lived in Salinas. So I'm just from the Monterey Peninsula. And then what was your relationship like with your parents growing up? Well, I come from a single parent. I, I'm a, I only had my mother in the house. My father, um, I come from a big family. I come from six uh, siblings. And my father, I guess, he, it was too much for him, so he left. So we were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when he abandoned us. I, I say abandoned because that's what it is. And, um, and we moved to Salinas, where my mom's sister lived. And then my mom finally got her own house. So I grew up in a single-parent household. My mother's relationship, we were, you know, we were close. I'm the oldest daughter and so my mother had to immediately go to work, go back to school, go to work. And we we had a good relationship. But of course, like everybody else, our relationships had some issues going on. You know, uh, as I grew up, I learned that um, there is intergenerational trauma that um, I had inherited from my mom. But uh, all in all, well, I kind of like had to step into her role and um, it was good, but I today I feel like I missed a lot of my childhood. But I love my mom. She did the best that she could. And what, what was what were your relationship like when you were the oldest? So what was your relationship like with your brothers and sisters or your siblings? Well, my oldest brother was always gone out of the house because he didn't take too well that my father left. I guess he had some some issues around that, but. Basically, me and my sisters and my little brother had a really good relationship because I stepped into my mother's shoes. And so I was the one that did everything for them. So we had a good relationship. We were very close when I when we grew up as growing up. You know, I cooked, got them off to school. You know, I did the mommy thing. And what are the kind of things you do for fun when you're growing up? 
Okay, so I'm gonna tell you one of one of the things that we did was uh, my mother made us go to church. We always had to go to church, but on Sundays after church, we would go down to this uh, place called the Chopsticks. That was one of the things that we would do that was really fun. My mother would go to the Chopsticks. Everybody knew us. Everybody knew us Six Dicks kids because that's my maiden name in Seaside and uh, how the, uh, uh, at the Chopsticks. They got really well, my mother also worked as a nurse, so they would, um, you know, everybody knew her. And so on Sundays after church, we'd go there, they pushed two tables together and we would, um, and my mother would order like a number one or a number two. And, you know, it bring out a lot of food. So we used to always and think that like my mom was rich when she really wasn't rich, but that was one of the fun things. And our other thing that we did was we would go down to Pacific Grove. And my mother would get a blanket, take blankets. We'd pop up in her car and get blankets. Can take fried chicken, sodas, cookies. And we would go down to the beach and we'd play in the water all day. And we didn't what, live in Pacific Grove, but we would go there to play at the beach. And what kind of things, um, when you were growing up, what are some of the things that you did for, I know you're talking about what you did for fun. What were your goals in school? Did you do well in school? Did you do well in school, or was it was a difficult time for you to manage taking care of the kids? And uh, can you just kind of give me an idea and paint a picture for me? How was that for you? School was not fun. It was very difficult for me because my mother worked very early in the morning until late at night. So it was my job to get up get kids off to school. I had one little sister that did not like kindergarten. So I basically dragged her to kindergarten every day. Um, so um, when when one of my sisters or brothers got sick, when one of my sister or brother got sick, I would have to stay home. And so, you know, and uh, because my mother couldn't afford childcare, we didn't have childcare back then. Um, my mother was very private so she didn't, we didn't have babysitters and we didn't have neighbors in our business. So I missed a lot of school. And when I would miss school, my mom would tell me to write a note. So school was very difficult for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I did not graduate. I did not graduate from high school. However, I did go years and years later to get my GED. So just kind of tell me, um, I know this and we can get into this now. Like who were your who were your superheroes or who are the people you looked up? Did you have role models when you were growing up? The one role model, I I did have my mom as a role model because to me she was a role model because she did whatever she could do. My mother worked and went to school, and then after she graduated from school, she worked two jobs and she spent you know she spent the best time that she could with us. But the one thing, the one reason that why she is one of my uh, role models is because she did what she had to do because, you know, back then, you know, they would, um, this welfare would, when we were on welfare and the welfare would come to the house and, uh, you know, and she was always afraid that, you know, they would see something that they weren't supposed to see, you know, a threaten at one time, I, I do believe they threatened to take, you know, the kids away from her. And, um, my mother just was my hero and role model because she did whatever she needed to do to keep us together. And she did keep us together. And again, she did the best that she could. So, me, so you didn't finish high school. So I guess that brings us to, and I, that's why I like, I love having these conversations with people because you, 
I can kind of track the evolution or we can listen to the evolution of a person's development. Um, when did you first start using drugs and kind of, I know that you, you and I spoke about a little bit, but that's something that you battled for so long in your life. When did you first, when were you first introduced to drug use and how, how did that all start for you? Let me see. I was first introduced to drugs. I think we went, once I moved out of my mom's house, I moved up into the Del Monte Manors and they call them the projects. But uh, so I moved up there. Everybody, uh, a lot of people up there was smoking weed, um, you know, snorting coke because, uh, you know, during the time it was snorting coke. And so um, and going to house parties. So I think I was maybe about 16 when I very first was uh, introduced to drugs, although I kind of was, I was very scared because I felt really responsible for my siblings. So I would only dibble and dabble a little bit, but um, today I always, when I do talk to young people and kids, I always tell them, you never know when you cross that line, you know, partying, you will cross that line. So I can't exactly say when I became addicted to drugs, but I dibble dabbled. I started dibbling into it. I think about 15, 15 and a half. Yeah. Something like that. Cause then, it was, it was in our, our apartment building. It was, that was, you know. And when was that? And was your was your were you like in a, is at the same time your family is, is struggling financially like you said, your mom was struggling raising, uh, doing the best she <laughs> raising six kids by herself. Um, what kind of things and did, was there any role models for you at all in terms of like your high school or anybody that was giving you any help and what were you thinking about like in terms of like what am i going to do for my future does that ever come into your mind at all yeah it did um i don't think i had any really role models because my mom was real oh it was this one lady um that was at our church but um that went came to our church but you know, as I told you, my mom was really, really private. She was a very private person. So a rule in her house was not to, um, you know, not to talk about what goes on in the house. And, you know, I just had to, you know, my mother ran her house. So even though I was the one that cared for everybody and took them to school and stayed at home with them when they were sick and, uh, my mother ran the house and, and I just want, uh, you know, we didn't talk much to, about our, our uh, family business inside the house. So um, a role model when I was coming up, I don't recall. That yeah, I and, that, and that's one of the things I always talk about. I think it's really important to have a lot of times when we're growing up, we don't have role models. So I think when I reflect back, you know, when I talk to my friends and that I've had considerable issues um, just struggles. One of the things that we always talk about now is just not having those role models and how important those role models are now. And you're a role model now, Sandra, with what you do, right? So um, I think it's it's really important for us to look at assuring that people have role models. Really, it doesn't really matter what the age, as long as we have people that help elevate us, right? So, right. And 
I think that's one of the things I always try to get at. And so when did you first start drugs start seeping into, you said you didn't graduate from high school. When did that start to seep into and affect all parts of your life? You, the drug use started to leading to lower level crimes. And I know you didn't do any, it was always drug related crimes. When did that start? Well, about, like I said, I, I can't remember when you cross over and start being addicted to drugs, but um, yeah, maybe about, I probably about 17 is when, um, you know, cause the, the, my drug use progressed little by little. And so uh, there was, you know, um, times that, you know, I would go to the store and steal, you know, running it with, with the group of people, um, and, you know, you would just, little crime came with, little crime at first came with, um, with you know, stealing and maybe selling it. Or, you know, uh, I remember one time we was at school and uh, uh, someone had left their purse. I think it was one of the, my peers had left her purse and we went in, you know, just little, little by little, about 17, it really started um where I started doing like low level crimes, stealing and of course come and run away and um, uh, uh, looking for, like looking for the opportunity to do, you know, to make money uh, by um, going into the store and we would go into the store. And it's so funny because now uh, they go in the store and they, um, they grab a bunch of stuff and run out the store and um and i and i think that that's basically what we used to do but in a smaller quantity just go in the store a bunch of us and they couldn't watch us all and you know we would already have it planned what we're gonna get and so i think about 17 is when i really started getting deep in the drugs because i started going to juvenile hall then and how did how did going when you look back on your on, on your life how did this drug use, and you said you started committing lower level crimes, stealing at the stores, and then you ended up going to juvenile hall. When you look back on that juvenile hall experience, what was that juvenile hall experience like for you? The first time it was really scary. It's always really scary the first time. And for me, I think the first and second time it was really scary. But uh, after a while, you get kind of adapt to it. You know, you know that eventually that they're they're going to let you go. The judge is going to uh, release you. You're going to do a little bit of time, and uh, you just kind of get used to going to juvenile hall. And it did, you know. And I think back when you bring that up, I think back to like um, like I knew I was breaking my mom's heart, but I was choosing another another route to do, you know, and um, yeah, it was scary at first, the first couple of times, but then it just kind of, I got kind of used to going in and out of a juvenile hall. And then I was at the age where I wasn't listening to my mom. Believe me, she was trying to tell me some stuff, but you know, you're at that age where you think, oh, you don't know nothing. And then my mother didn't spend a lot of time, a lot of uh, time at home with me because of her situation. So i I was doing grown people's stuff, you know, I was doing grown folks thing, taking care of a whole family of kids. So I thought I was grown and she couldn't tell me nothing anyway, you know? Yeah. So when, 
did, did part of you, were you comfortable in that situation? Or what, when you look back on time, was it a tough time for you when you think back at that time? Did you like yourself at the time? Or what were your kind of feelings about stuff when you think about it now in retrospect? I don't know if I don't I don't know when you say did I like myself I just you know I was maybe I didn't maybe I felt like I I always think about you know being cheated out of childhood I wasn't a kid you know I I wasn't able to like do some of the stuff um, teenagers did because I was you know I I felt at the time that I was being forced to take care of my sisters and brothers and so um and then I couldn't when I did end up when I did when I could go and spend a whole day at school you know I was so behind you know I felt um different I felt so different because but when sometimes I would be out of school it depend on how long my what my little brother was kind of sickly so it it depend on when he felt better i mean enough felt good enough for me to go to school for him to go to school so i could go to school so did i didn't like myself i can't say that i because i i don't remember saying oh i don't like myself i hate myself i kind of hated my life you know well, that, yeah the reason i ask this is because oh. you said you grew up in a very like you grew up going to church too so i know there's a lot of like you know like you said, you're going in and out and your mom's trying to help you. And sometimes a lot of us have, especially when you go to very much into church, you have some guilt a little bit around how, you, you know, what you're doing, right? Cause you know what you're doing is wrong. You just don't know how to change it. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I was, I, I went to church cause my mother demanded us to go to church. It wasn't like we wanted to go to church. She demanded it. It was church for her. It was excruciating. I think for me, if I could speak for myself. So yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of torn like, uh, well, uh, I, I, I used to even like look for stuff around the church to steal, like, if it, you know, cause a lot of the, a lot of the, the, my age ch kids that went to church, we ran the streets together, you know? So let me ask you this. So when was the first time you went to County jail? Let me see. I was, uh, 20 when I first went to the county jail. I went, um, I got arrested and stayed in the city jail. And uh, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to juvenile hall. They're going to stay a few days, not knowing that I wasn't going to go to juvenile hall. But they kept, l later I learned out they kept me in the county jail because they were going to take me to the jail. I was going to be transported to the to the county jail. So I was 20 years old when I first went to the county jail. That was an experience. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, what was that experience like for you? That was the that was very scary time because um, I wasn't a kid anymore. I wasn't being handled like a juvenile anymore. I was being handled like a a criminal, like a big like a grown-up, you know, like they, they didn't uh, put me in a special room. I got put in a room with um, uh, grown people that had, for me, that was scary, you know, and when I first went to jail, um, you know, uh, uh, listening to um, other people that had made it to jail, it had me petrified, you know, um, you're going to get raped. You're going to get beat up. You're going to, you know, just a bunch of stuff at the county jail. So it was a very scary time for me. And, and how, how many times 
how many times have you been to county jail in total? And, uh, yeah, and then and then when did you end up going to state prison? Well, I've been to the county jail more times than I can think of. And when I first went to uh, count to the prison, I went down to uh, CIW on a ninety day observation. The judge sent me on a ninety day observation because. Um, I think it was because my mother would show up in court all the time. And uh, I think that the public defender just advocated for me to go to uh, on a 90 day op. So I think I got down to, uh, to CIW when I was 24 or 25. So let me ask you this, Sandra. Can you give me a typical day in county jail, food-wise and everything? What did you? What was your typical day like there? Let me see. County jail. You would get. Uh, of course, you would have to get very early. The day started very early because you. you if you want to eat breakfast, you're going to get up. If you want to eat breakfast, so Salinas County Jail was like this. You could either be in a pod, but you had your own room. Uh, when I when I was going there, but it had gotten to a time where we were sleeping in the day room too. It depend on you know what year, or how crowded it was. So you would have to get up very early in the morning to um, eat breakfast, which I totally hated because when you got arrested, you were held into the city jail until like hours and hours. So when you finally got to the bed, you just wanted to sleep. However, if you wanted breakfast, you would have to get up. Then you would have to get, if you, you know, they, you would get up. I think sometimes I remember sometimes they let you go back to bed or sometimes you'd have to get up and make your bed up, you know, cause they required you to have your bed made up. And, um, then what I would do is uh, eventually, you know, if we weren't on lockdown, we would get out and take a shower. We could be in the day room playing cards, you know, talking. Um, I was always quiet in jail because, like you said, a lot of shame came. And I worried a lot about my what my mother was going through and what my, my, my brothers and sisters were going through. And... Um, and then when my mother would come see me, she would look at me with such disappointment. Like, you know, you knew I needed, you know, you know, your brothers and sisters need you and I got to go to work. And, and I asked the lady down the street to keep them. And it was a lot, it was a lot. So a typical day was getting up very, very early. It was always so loud during the day. Um, even at night, they would holler across the, the pot to each other. Um, yeah. It was, it was, I remember my, my, my first time very, I'm going to go back. My very first time, I did not know that I was supposed to go in the shower, shower shoes. And, um, and I caught athlete feet really, really bad and never had athlete feet. And, um, and the medical didn't care. You know what, how I got rid of my athlete feet, my mother had to get a, order from the judge. She had to go to the court and get an order because my feet was so bad. Uh, and she had to go and get an order from the judge and the judge uh, ordered them to take me out to the hospital, to Salinas Valley Hospital. And I got my feet walked, you know what they do and then give well, you your clean and stuff. So let me ask you, you were coming in and out of county jail. 
Mm-hmm. And obviously the food wasn't great. I'm sure. It oh my god! It's, I know it's just, it's the same food every day. I'm sure, right? It's usually the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The same food. I know. I know. There's a a big focus on bologna in county jail, right? <laughs> bologna and, and prison and prison and prison. And, and so, um, was there a point um, when you were going in and out of county jail where you know what? Did county jail scare you anymore, or you said you know what? County jail was you know what? I'll deal with it when it comes up. And was it was it just your focus on those drug issues and supporting your drug habit? And like you said, you're supporting your family at the same time. Was it difficult for you or were you afraid of ever going to county jail? Or at some point were you thinking, you know, I'm gonna end up being and go to prison one day? Did that any of that ever cross your mind? Going to prison didn't cross my mind until I was in court being sentenced to go to prison. So, no, it didn't cross my mind. I had got used to going to the county jail because after you go somewhere and you, you for so many times, you get kind of used to, you start knowing people, you know, the people that you're running on, on the streets are in there, you know, and, you know, you, you become like a family in there almost, you know. Uh, for me, it was... In the beginning, it was very scary, and then it got like the same with juvenile hall. It just kind of got, I kind of like got used to it. Like I knew that eventually uh, I was going to be able to get out one of, you know, one of these court days, they were going to say, okay, time credit serving, you get out. Until that last time when he told me that really the judge said that he's sick and tired of me coming in and out of his court, and he thinks that uh, he's going to send me down to the women's prison uh, and let them decide, you know, if I should stay or if I could go. So I went down on a 90 day uh, observation. So let me ask you, I know you, you, you were in prison for other, after that you ended up going to prison again. So the question I have for you is, um, what was what was being in prison like? Were there politics you had to learn? And at what point did you say, I can't, I need to stop this lifestyle. I need to stop using drugs. What, what was like the turning point for you that just turned this all around? Because you're very successful now. You're doing a lot of amazing things in the community. What kind of turned it around for you? So uh, the last time I was in Chowchilla, I was in, in Chowchilla and... Um, and I had, I had, I was going through a lot of issues. My oldest son was murdered. You know, I was on drugs. Um, you know, there was a lot of shame and guilt there. I, I felt like, um, you know, then I had my other kids by then. They were like in and out of my mom's house. And, you know, uh, it, it came with a lot of guilt and shame. And so I think that my heavy drug use started after my son was uh, killed. And that was because I didn't want to feel those, uh, feel that those those ugly feelings in my chest, you know. So how, how old were you when you had your son? I I was twenty when I had my son. I was twenty one when I had my daughter, and I was twenty seven when I had my youngest son. So you were using drugs this whole time. I was using did, drugs. Did, the whole did time. it affect your kids using the drugs? Did you know? Um, my youngest son, my youngest son was premature. And to this day, uh, my youngest son is, and I'm not saying it's from drug, uh, from my drug addiction, but I suspect 
because I haven't had a diagnosis. He's a, he, he drinks. And today he doesn't, me and him go back and forth. And I'm trying to, you know, trying to get him to get into some recovery, but he'll say, well, you didn't stop till you got ready to stop. And then he's in denial because he thinks he, oh, I got a job and I go to work and, you know, uh, uh, but I try to tell him you're a functioning alcoholic. So my youngest son, it did impact, impact a lot, a lot. And to today, we, me and him go through it behind that. And, and uh, how, how did your son, how old were you when your son got murdered? And how did that transpire? Was he on the streets or how? how did, no, he was, uh, he had went to San Jose. Uh, I'm sure he went to San Jose and I, and I'm sure he was, you know, he grew up in Seaside. He grew up in the projects. He grew up at in the projects. In the projects, they claimed the blood. I mean, not the blood. What is blue? The Crips. You know, and he he was a project kid, and um, and went out of town. Went to San Jose and um, got into a fight at this club called Looney Tunes, and um, and I and I didn't even know this was because uh, this was a. Uh, what do they call them? The, it was apartment building called the, well, it was apartment building and they claimed to be the seven trees. That's what they were. And he got into a fight with one of the, um, a guy into, into the Looney Tunes on second street. And Anthony was a big kid. He was big, you know, and, um, he uh, he fought him, beat him up. They the dude lost. He went back to the Seven Trees, and and because Anthony wasn't from Seaside, they came back and you know shot That's him. Right. And so I guess, like you said, you started using. I mean, you, you were heavy, heavy. I went to a dark place, a yes. dark place. After and that. so, so how? So you're in prison. You're in a dark place. How did you get out of it? Like what? What? what inspired you and motivated you to get out of this? Well, normally when I went to prison, I would get put on a yard and I would go right to work. I work in the kitchen. I'd work in the, in, and uh, as a, uh, what do you call it? A, a porter or, you know, I'd work in a different building. But the last time I went to prison, I was put into a program called SAM school, um, not SAM, SAP, a substance abuse program. I, I got put in there. I was pissed about being in SAP because uh, I, I wanted to just go to work, not have to think about nothing, just go to work, dive into work, work the time that I was, I think it was six hours a day, go home and pass out, take a shower and pass, go back to my room and pass out. But this particular time, this last time I went to uh, SAP and um, I went into SAP, you know, like really closed up, you know, like I'm, you know, like this doesn't have anything to do with me. This was just a program uh, and, uh, and it was a drug program. And so I started, I, it, they had a guest speaker there. They had a guest speaker and this woman was telling my story. And I remember sitting there saying this, this woman is lying. I didn't say woman. I said, this B is lying. She ain't never been in jail she ain't never been in prison you know she just felt she's just running a story she's like she doesn't even look like she is nice looking dressed really nice was just telling us 
about what she used to do and um and we had a break we had a break for um and and i went up and i talked to her and i really went up to her to talk to her with the intentions of saying you know what i you 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 couldn't have been through you couldn't have went through none of this you couldn't have went through none of this stuff that you said and i just walked up to her and, and i introduced myself and and i asked her how did you like how did you change what did you do different i asked her that right out and she looked down at me and she said i changed people places and thinking that's what she said and uh then the break was over and we went on and we went talking and i remember this lady stayed in my head for a long time like weeks and i kept on saying people places and thinking like what does she mean people places and thinking like what does that mean and uh as the day as the week went on and there was we she she didn't never come back but i started listening into the program i started listening about in sap because before i was just doing my six hours that's what i was doing six hours in sap and after this woman came and spoke i um I just started listening and what they were saying is, you know, when you, when you're in recovery, they preach recovery, you know, and, um, and it started sinking into me. And at that time that I, this last time I was in prison, a lot of people were going to the watch office, even in my room, signing papers for that, uh, to go to a program and spend six months. I think it was 190. They were like, are they, were they 190s where they could go to the uh, program and complete the program and then get off parole? Once they complete the program, they could get off parole. And I thought that was uh, uh, a pretty good deal, but I was never called to the watch office and to sign any papers to go to a program. And so after I realized that I wasn't, a candidate for it, I started going to my counselor there on the on the uh, on the unit and asking her like, "What's going on? Everybody's going in there, getting you know they're getting ducked to go sign papers." And um, and she said she kind of like punching the computer. She said, "You don't qualify." And I was like, "What do you mean I don't qualify? I'm you know I'm on, I'm in SAP. I'm I'm in I'm in the drug program and I don't qualify." I you know, and so she just kept saying, I don't qualify. And what I did was I kept bugging her, not every day, but I would go to her office periodically. And one day she looked up at me and she said, Miss Johnson, if I stick my neck out for you, you're going to go right from here to the program. And uh, I was changing the what, what, when you asked what was change, what was changing me is I was listening to SAP in, in SAP. I was listening to uh, how to get recovery. And uh, I told her, okay. And me and, and she one day ducked me to come and see her. And she said, I'm going to FOTEP, female, female, FOTEP, female uh, treatment, female offender treatment program. And, um, and I went there and, but not right away. I, I had to wait until, you know, it was my time to go. And then I got really into SAP. I started listening. I started doing the little project. I started doing the little workbook that they gave me. And um, 
Yeah. And then I started feeling kind of good about myself. I really start feeling like, like there, there is, there's another way to live. You know, there was another way to live, but the one thing that um, I was really afraid of was leaving my hometown, not being in my hometown. And then that was when I realized she said people, places, and thinking. So I had to change the place my where I where I had my history drug history at, I had to change the people that I hung out with because she had told me you have to love yourself more than you love your home people love you your home home your OG home people love you you know they only loving you the way that they know how to love you because there's they would what she meant by that they would when I got out they would give me you know like here let's go hi here let's hear some hear some dope to make money you know let's go do this let's go and so they were just doing what they knew me by and so when i went up to the fotep uh by then i'd had some recovery from the program and i did what i i promised my a woman in, and i started my grief and loss in prison also too so i've Got to back up. A woman had told me to come and I started going to other groups. There was women in my SAP program that was um, going to other groups. And one of them was grief and loss. And that was a self-help. They did it all on their own. It wasn't one of the requirements. And I would just go to that program and I started my healing there, you know, because before I went to that program, before I started getting clean and sober, I couldn't even talk about my son. I couldn't even talk because it was guilt and shame. It was pain in my chest. It was like, it would be a knot in my throat. I couldn't even get through a, I couldn't even get through two or three sentences without breaking up crying. And so um, I continued going. So when I got to FOTEP, I can just promise this one girl told me, she said, you need to do something that would, if your son was alive, he would be proud of you. And that was my turning point, you know, and I was like, I asked her, what do you mean? She said, you know, like, do, what would your, what would your son be proud of if he was here right now? And uh, that's just was the whole, uh, I just took off from there. I just started doing everything that I, I started doing things that I needed to do, you know, and then I started wanting to do good things. So, Yeah. And so, when you completed you completed uh, FOTEP and you, what kind of jobs you've been doing? A lot of these wonderful jobs in the community. So, and you've been clean for a long time now. So, you know what? A long time. And, and, and I'm still in recovery. So, yeah. when anybody talks to me about, you know, uh, I was just in Sacramento, and uh, they had a, it was so funny. They had um, and 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 people today respects respect what I, you know, I don't, I don't try to make please anybody. I stay on straight and narrow. I'm straight and narrow. And, uh, they had a five 30 happy hour free, you know, and they were like, come on, Miss Sandra, it's free and stuff. And I said, I don't drink, you know, and I, and, 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 and one girl that knew me, she was like, Oh, this ain't drugs. I was like, I don't compromise my recovery. I don't do anything. I don't drink. I don't do gummies. I don't smoke weed. I don't do none of that. I said, I'm straight and narrow because I will never compromise because you don't know the struggle that I had. That when I look back, I, I struggled to get here. I worked hard to get here. I went to therapy. I went to parenting. I went to parenting and my kid 
was my youngest son was grown. He he lived in Pennsylvania, but I I I, I followed someone else's direction. You know, and I thought, oh, I don't need parenting. I don't got no baby. Yeah, you do, because you need to hear what your drug addiction did to your kids. So, yeah, that was pretty painful. <laughs> and, 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 and you're helping people now. You you every time I talk to you or call you, you're traveling around the country and, and, and working on um, social reform and different programs and just trying to get back to the community and make, make people aware of, of what drugs can do to you and how it can destroy you and just making sure that people are able to giving them the resources to turn their lives around. So what in your current position, what kind of work are you doing now? In my current position, I am the Fair Chance Community Organizer. I worked on Ban the Box. It was um, uh, signed into law in 2017, I think it was. And I am part of a team that is implement, helping it be implemented because we have to, like, even though a law is passed, doesn't mean everybody's following in it. And also... Um, there's a lot of people that system impacted that don't know their rights. They don't know that they are can't be asked about uh, conviction up front. They, they don't know that they can't be asked about um, convictions that's been uh, dismissed. They, people, m my community doesn't know about the fair chance uh, process. And so I teach the fair chance process to system impacted people. I am part of a writing warriors. I still, um, I am part of now I work for CCWP. I'm contracted with CCWP as California Coalition for Women Prisoners. We work on a lot of, um, uh, well, I was a writing warrior. Now I'm going to be on a reproductive justice um, team to help women. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that. They were being sterilized uh, without their knowledge. And so there was a, the governor signed into the budget uh, money for them. So there's a lot of women that don't know how to fill out the paperwork. And you said something that I do want to touch on today. I do, I do service. And because I know that I took so much and I know you hear this a lot from people that we take so much from the community for every day. And every day I, I try to do something good now, because I've done a lot. If I still wanted to be on that side of the street, I would have stayed on that side of the street. I'm on this side of the street all the way. And I use that as my, um, you know, my compass. Like I'm on this side of the street now. And uh, and the woman that asked me, told me to do something that would make my son proud of me every day. I know for a fact that's what keeps me that um, not, not, I keep myself clean and sober. So let's get that straight because I don't compromise my, although I still go to NA and AA and tell my story. I go to NA more than AA, but I go to anywhere that someone asks me to come and speak and uh, tell my story. And I'm an open book. You know, well, I don't. Sandra, let me ask you a question. So when, when what advice would you give somebody um, that is addicted to drugs or is living coming in and out of prison or coming out of jail and grew up in your similar situation what advice do you give those individuals to help them get to the same place as you and try to, and, and and i don't like to say save but provide some kind of resource and support 
to, to move them in a direction in life so that they don't have to spend all those years in a situation where it's not being productive and you're hurting folks. What advice yeah. would you give? Yeah, I wasted a lot of, lot of years of my life. I sometimes I think where I would be at if I hadn't gave the system so much of my life. Um, but the advice that I would give people is to the same simple advice that I got, you know, just change your thinking, you know, take a, you know, um, so I don't play, I, you know what, when I decided to get clean and sober, I decided to get clean and sober. As you said, you have to change your thinking. You have to take, I had a mentor for the first uh, year that I was on, um, Treasure Island, and today I'm a mentor, and I just, you only, you know, I, I did what she told me to do, because she had been clean like 12 years when I met her, she had been clean, so I just followed her direction, because what I was doing wasn't working, you know, and so um, it's just, I would give the same advice that kind of like the light bulb change of people, places, and thinking. You know, if you can go for me as many times as I got out of prison and went back to Salinas, I, that was my history. That's where I used. Um, that's 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 so, you know, that was my history. So, OK, um, that's my supervisor. <laughs> yeah. You hear that noise? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would, uh, you know, I, so I changed my, my, my surroundings. I went somewhere where nobody knew me. And honestly, it was one of the scariest things that I ever did, but it gave, it was one of the best things that I did for myself. I started listening to someone else that was clean and sober for a length of time because I didn't know how to stay clean and sober. And then change your thinking. You know, we always think that ain't nothing wrong with us as everybody else, you know, uh, so I had to sit, I had to sit with myself and, 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 and stop blaming everybody for this, you know, and just, you know, that's what I would say. And when I go and I talk to the younger, uh, people and stuff and I tell them, don't, you know, um, if, you know, like, don't, you never know when you become an addict. So don't all that party. Oh, I'm just partying. That's what I thought I was doing. Just partying. And it was, you know, it, I was forming a habit. So I don't know. And just, you know, try, try, try something is you can always go back. I mean, it's just little things like this. Just try something different, you know, because you can always get go back to being miserable, but you may like it. You may like the new you. I love the new me, you know. Yeah, and I know that you're always giving back, Sandra. You always give back to the community. And you're very successful. You're, 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 you, you don't just um, talk to talk. You walk to walk. You act, Every day you try to help the community. Every day you're, you actually back up what you say with action. And, yeah. I, and I, th I think that's what everyone says about you when they speak about you. Oh, thank, uh, thank you, thank you for saying that because I do. I don't play. I when if I I'm today I'm I'm dependable. You know, I I have great work work ethics. You know, I live on a calendar. I never tell someone. I never I never say oh I could do it and then pull out of it. Uh, um, I'm always. I you know what? It makes me happy to help someone. 
you know, um, and um, I just feel like this is the person that, you know, my son would be proud of today. Today yes. I, I help. And even on his anniversary, on his birthday and the day that um, he was murdered, I don't, I, I feel it and I, and I, and I get busy going to help somebody. And that's what I do. I, I promise myself I'm not going to sit around and um, because you learn that in grief and loss, you know, be of service somebody, take yourself out of yourself, you know, because it's always someone that will need your help. So I, this is, I, I love this little portion here. I'll ask you just some quick okay. questions. Um, so what is your guilty food pleasure? Um, my guilty food pleasure is, um, is ice cream sandwich and a hostess cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, yeah. Those do they? I don't even know. Can you get hostess cupcakes anymore? Yeah. Well, I never buy the whole box. I, I go to Safeway and I go get the. But you gotta be careful with the hostess because you have to kind of like fill them and make sure they're fresh. Like, don't buy them at Seven Eleven. You know the little stores because they're not gonna cycle them in when the date, the what you call expiration date is. So. I get uh, just the two, the two in the pack. And matter of fact, it's so funny because tonight I did a hamburger patty and um, I did a hamburger patty and an egg. And then for my dessert, I put a, I opened the ice cream sandwich and um, opened my pack. So I got one in the baggie for tomorrow <laughs> and one, and I put the ice cream on top of the, not a not a scoop of ice cream, the ice cream sandwich. And then what is your favorite music? My favorite music is RB. I do like oldies. Uh, my favorite artist is Mary J. Bly because uh when I got up to San Francisco, I heard uh the song um I like what I see when I'm looking at me when I'm walking past the mirror. That is my favorite Mary J. Bly song because uh, it was my ringtone. And and when I used to look in the mirror, I didn't like myself. But when I started looking in the mirror, I, I started and doing the right thing. I started seeing I started seeing the person that I was supposed to be and that the person that I had become. And let me ask you, Sandra, if you had when you when you have somebody that is dealing with a dark situation, whether it's a personal dark situation or they're down about their, you know, their job or life. What's, what, what kind of good advice do you give to people to get through that, that one moment in time? It, that too shall pass. That too shall pass. Um, you know, uh, when I was at uh, Treasure Island, uh, Christine, I have to call her name out. She uh, would tell me never make a decision when I'm, depressed, upset, mad, and, and, and just let it pass. Just let the moment pass. You know, um, I remember when I was trying to quit smoking, I was like, how do you, she said, just let it pass. It only stay for five minutes of craving. If you can make five minutes, it'll be gone. And so just, uh, yeah, just, um, so the advice that I would, I would give is first of all, don't set in it, you know, go, go do service for someone else. Cause when that gets me out of myself, you know, I still have bad days. Life still shows up for me. Life still shows up. My life is, is better than before, but it's not perfect. And I don't think there's 
no perfect life, but I get through it. You know, today I don't, today I don't say F it. I never use for you F it because those are dangerous words for me, you know, because I used to always say it before F this crap, you know, and, uh, and I just get through it. I just work through it, you know, and I have a very, very great network of friends, you know, I, and I utilize them, you I know, I don't that. keep no secrets from them, you know, cause they, you know. And then what's your favorite film? Well, right now it was the woman queen. <laughs> Oh, I haven't seen that. Woman I heard King. good things though. The Woman King. I yes. That. I've yeah, heard good things. That was my, that's my favorite one right now. But uh, I'm also a comedy person. Like I like, and I'm a reality show person. You know, I just finished Big Brothers. I like the neighborhood. I love Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people. That's yeah. a good show. Yeah, because it makes me laugh. I love if, to end my day of laughing. If you could meet one person... It, it can be anywhere in history. Who would it be and what would you say to them? So if I can meet one person, anybody, I kind of like Oprah because I've met Angela before. Uh, I met, um, yeah, I, I think it would be Oprah Winfrey. I always want, I, I, I love Oprah Winfrey because she does so much for so many people. You know, and um, yeah, and what, she, would you, what would you say? What would you say to her? What would I say to Oprah? Because you know, Oprah had a really hard life. If you read her book, she she had a really really hard life, and uh, I guess I would just you know, like you want to know about it. But how did you get through it? What did you do to get through it? You know, so I mean, now she's you know. She, but she also gives a lot and she's always of service of everybody else. So I like Oprah, but I'm sure when I get off this podcast, I was like, Oh, I should have said so and so and so and so, you know, I like meeting people. Yeah. And then um, when you look back at your time in prison, when you look back at your time in prison, I know, like I said, you haven't been in the system for a long time now. Um, what are some positives, if you could think about it, that you got? Have you, you articulated some of those before. Was there any type of relationships or friendships that you made in there or anything with anybody positive? And when they came out, that other person turned their life around, too. Well, it's so funny that you asked that because I was in Sacramento and I took a picture by the Yellow Bridge up there. And one of the women that was in uh, prison with me that I left inside a prison and uh, she messaged me on my Instagram, on my Facebook. And she's like, are you in Sacramento? And I was like, yeah. And so she was like, oh, my God, where are you at? Are you by the Yellow Bridge? And I was like, yeah, I'm over here at the Embassy Suite. And um, I haven't seen her in 15 years. And so wait a minute. Your question was, what do I look back and say is positive? That friendship that I made that had as is still like yeah, the other day when we seen each other i think it was uh thursday because i left on friday it was like we had never left each other and we kind of like took care of each other in there and um yeah i when she first came she was in there for the first time she had did you know something and they sent her straight to prison and she cried a lot and 
and I and I just kind of like helped her get through prison and she came to see me and we just bust out crying and then we start talking and catching up and now every day we text and yeah. That's great. And then what do you want to be remembered for when you when you go to when you're no longer on earth? What do you want to be remembered for? As a good as a good person that advocated for people that uh couldn't did not know how to advocate for themselves. So I want to be known as a good person um that really cared about people's feelings and and people uh didn't matter what what don't matter their ethnicity their gender i didn't care i just like people i'm a people person uh, I, and no matter where i go people always say you can talk you can get, make a conversation with anybody and um a, a, and 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 uh, i advocated for people and i helped people that didn't know how to help themselves and what would you, if, you know, if your son was that passed away, was in front of you right now, and you could say one thing to him, what would that be? I would, I would tell, because he is right in front of me, because his picture is the only one on the wall. And in my heart, I believe that he sees me coming and going. I have, I have art on the wall for my brother, but his is the only picture on the wall. And I always... When I, when I, it just is a habit, I would, I guess I would tell him that I miss him, you know, but I, I believe that today, like he's not physical, but he's proud of me. I know he's proud of me. Absolutely. And, you know, and I, Sandra, thank you so much for, you know, kind of bearing your soul and being so honest and, being on the podcast, taking time out because I know you're like extremely busy and you, you put, we had to do it at a late hour. And, um, and I know that uh, you're a very, very busy person. I appreciate you fitting, fitting me into your, into your schedule. Hey, and, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me because, uh, you know, um, Hey, it was a pleasure. Yes. And like I said, I've heard so many great things about you and all the wonderful things that you're doing in the community, how you're advocating for everybody and, you have a very successful life and you're doing amazing things and you're following your passion and uh, just keep doing amazing things. And, and I want to tell everybody, you know what? Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you like it, give a thumbs up. Uh, Sandra, if there's any, if they, if they want to go ahead and get a hold of your organization, what's the best way for them to get a hold of your organization? They can email me or they can go on the website. Our website is www.legalaidatwork.org. Or they could email me at sjohnson at legalaidatwork.org. But Perfect. go on the website if they, because um, if they if they need anything, you know, they can email me or they can go on the website and call. I also have a number, but should I give out my work number? I think they have your email. You're good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay. I know you're, you're very busy, so. Well, thank you for everybody for I'm listening. I'm never too busy to help someone. Never. I, I love that about you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here. And uh, till next time, everybody keep learning. And we'll see you with our next great guest. Bye, thank everyone. You. Thank you for being here.